Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Oh captain, my captain. Welcome to Oh Captain, My Captain, Series 3, Episode 2, actual first proper episode of the series after the intro episode last week. I am here, Mark Olver, with Ricky Mastindo. Hello, Mark. How's it going? I'm good. Did you notice that I'm doing something slightly different today? I'm doing my uh, kind of, we're really busy, important people voice. That, that's oh. how I did that. Oh, um, Okay. It, yeah, but so I was sort of doing it with a sense of speed and kind of uh, urgency to get the idea that we were being speedy and urgent. Oh, unlike the usual padding and fluff that has come into this podcast. Well, exactly. But also, I then did my speedy, urgent voice, and then you did your exact same voice as you always do, which is just like very chilled out, very just oh. kind of. But I'm I'm putting a bit of. I'm putting a rocket up the arse of this podcast today, Matindo. Yeah, yeah. It's time we get our shit together. Time to get down to business. Let's. What, what are you talking about? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Exactly. That's what I want. Because, so we're doing this. This is a, a slightly different podcast again. Because basically, uh, Mark Olver. Hi. Ricky Macindo. Hi. Um, uh, we're both busy mofos, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely busy mofos. I'm eating like, lunch in scrubs. You're eating lunch in scrubs um, because you've got to go back to uh, the hospital later on. Um, and I am in a TV studio dressing room um, waiting for them to shout for me to go and do, uh, to go and do warm-up in, um, well, probably at the end of the podcast. So we've got the amazing Andrew Bird on today. And uh, so, yeah, so it's just, um, it's crazy. Do you like being busy? Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think I have a pathological desire to always need to be doing something productive. So it means I'm eating my pate on bread while recording a podcast while trying to send an email. So that's my life and I chose it. Um, I think the thing I'm mainly interested in is that your lunch is pate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just because I'm a student doesn't mean I can't enjoy the finer things. You have got a little bit of a uh, sort of a fine taste about you, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, that sounds like the most insulting way of saying it. You have a bit of a fine taste about you, really. No, it's not. That's not meant to be insulting. It's just surprising for a student. I mean, admittedly, at Bristol Uni, I imagine there is a pate society. But, um... <laughs> there is a real ale society, a gin society, and a wine society that I'm the president of. Oh, yes, of course you are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I forget about that side of you. Um, I'm going to say it, that bellend side of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just because I know how to taste wine properly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, mean, I don't drink alcohol, so all yeah. um, all wine. I mean, basically, I'm going to say this right now. All wine tastes the same. Uh, it's quite simple. <laughs> all wine tastes. All alcohol tastes the same. Actually, all those people in the gin society, the real ale society, and the wine society, they should just join one big society uh, because they all sound. They all taste exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, posh people are just looking for a socially acceptable or reason to get drunk, basically. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we did the episode one last week, which uh, was uh, sort of the introduction, the recap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do we know how many people have listened to this so far? Because you put the word uh, indulgence. <laughs> indulgence. Yeah, what did I call it? <laughs> I called it indulgent catch-up. Indulgent catch-up. <laughs> yeah, oh, nice, nice. About 90 people. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck they are, but thank you. What, you we've had 90 people yeah. listening to the, uh, the catch-up. Yep, yep. We have a little dedicated audience. It's actually jokes. Wow, that is weird. 
Um, uh, I am. Uh, forgive me for my ever so slight hesitation. Andrew Bird, who is our guest, has just asked me for the Zoom link, so I am just doing a little copy and a little paste, and then he will probably be in the room. You loved it. Uh, we are there. Um, um, oh well, hello to the ninety people. I hope you now um, are caught up on everything that's. That's been happening in the world of uh, uh, mainly Rick and Lucinda, but also a little bit of Mark Oliver. And our guest today, who I think will be here uh, momentarily, is Andrew Bird. And I think we're going to talk to Birdie about two main things. Number one, so one of the feedback I have uh, to Series Two, I always say, give me things that you want us to talk about. And a lot of people, comedy is, comedy can be quite an expensive. Uh, thing to get into, whether it's a hobby at the beginning and try and make it work. Have you found that you spent a lot of money doing comedy, or have you found that it actually it's not been too bad? Bear in mind that we're going to this after talking about the Pate Society. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. have you found um, it? You're a student. Have you found it as an expensive thing? Is stand up expensive? I think. The most expensive thing is travel. Like that's the, the most expensive thing, like no question. Um, but I got lucky with the global pandemic that um, all the gigs that I was doing were essentially a walk away. Uh, yes. So that was convenient during like lockdowny times. And now I'm driving about, but when I am driving, it's usually I'll get a bit of money that'll cover fuel and then a bit more on top. So... Yeah, so it is expensive, definitely. But the most expensive thing is the travel. So if you can cut that down, then I think you can make it not too bad. And you're also quite lucky being a student in and around a city that has a really good comedy scene, but also coming from uh, Bedford. So if you are doing a couple of days gigging in London, you can't just stay at home and just you know go in from home. So I suppose you're you're quite lucky, aren't you, in that way? Yeah, 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 and it was a complete accident as well. Like, I had no idea. I thought that London was the only place in the UK to do stand-up when I first started, but then Bristol just turned out to be this absolute gem in the West. Yeah, with lots of gigs and lots of and lots of gigs starting, actually. I think there's a... Um, I think there's Millie uh, as well got a gig that's starting uh, yeah, this week, I think. Yes, she does. Um, it is with Charlie. She's, uh, I think it's an open mic night one. So that'll be good to have loads of people there. Because we yeah. have open mic nights. Was that sarcastic or, or was that true? <laughs> no, I was, being, I was being serious. I was just reading my phone. So I sounded horrifically sarcastic. I've, I've yeah. realised recently, I've realised recently that... Uh, and, it's amazing when you when you hit 46, you think you know everything about yourself. But I've realised recently that I'm just not very good with sarcasm. Like, I, I'm not really? very good at identifying what's, what is sarcastic and what isn't. Oh, <laughs> um, not you, but I, but I, Oh, thank you very much. I got that one. Um, <laughs> but I think, you're, I think you might be right, actually. But for a long time, I thought, oh, there's too many gigs in Bristol. But now there's so many comedians. I'm like, oh, no, actually, I want there to be more gigs. I want there to be... And we sort of touched on this a little bit when we talked about the podcast with Rachel Fairburn and TikTok with, with Abby Clark. It's like, yeah, well, th there is no harm in having lots of places where people can express themselves creatively, for want of a better word. Um, and so yeah. having those uh, extra open mic gigs is brilliant. And actually, and one of the other things, we're going to do a sort of a twofer with Andrew Bird today, a two for one, where we're going to discuss um, uh, setting up gigs and, and running gigs as well, because Birdie has uh, has done that as well. So, oh, cool. um, so yeah, so we're we're going to talk about money. The, the the money thing I think is really interesting, and it's it's probably we'll probably be able to get into it on a podcast fully if we even when we talk about class and other things stopping people from getting into comedy i want them to be a slightly lighter way of doing it but actually we'll probably might get into the serious nature of the fact that does is comedy something that 
only middle class people can do. You know, that is kind of that's one of the things that people talk about quite a lot. Um, big question. It is a big question, actually, and I I have slightly controversial views on this. Um, oh, yes, over being <laughs> controversial. It's rare but delicious. Well, no, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It's because when... So I'm, I come from a very working-class family, and when I started comedy, I was living at home. Um, I didn't have any money, but I was working, so I was doing all right. But also, I started over 20 years ago and things have got more expensive since then. Yeah. But I have also, when I started, made all sorts of sacrifices to do stand-up and didn't have a social life and would, you know, stay up, you know, finish a gig and not get a hotel and then get the first train back to do my day job. And uh, I, I, I desperately hope that stand-up isn't just a middle class thing <laughs> like maybe maybe that's what it is maybe it's my maybe it's not a controversial opinion maybe it's just absolute uh wishful thinking or blind naivety that um that puts me there well, um, i mean i think it's interesting because i think i think whether or not stand-up is middle class is debatable but i think a lot of comedians who are in the public eye come from reasonably comfortable backgrounds but what's interesting is that that's not the case around the world like in america stand-up comedy is like something for people who come from like working class backgrounds like that's the the, the caricature of an american comedian like dave chappelle kevin hart like they all say they were doing gigs they were broke and then comedy essentially helped them make their way. So it's just interesting, the difference. You're, you're right, um, but, oh, I think we have an Andrew Bird. Um, uh, hello, Andrew Bird. Hello. How are you, buddy? All right. Um, like, I got here in literally minutes. Um, I decided that it's not going to happen again, this uh, podcast in the house. They started hammering and drilling. So I left my house, went to a hotel nearby, set up, asked for a Wi-Fi code in 10 minutes. So this is pretty good going. I'm even here. You've not got a room, have you? <laughs> no, no, I'm not you. That's the kind of thing you'd do. Um, get, uh, get a room for a podcast. That's pretty extravagant, isn't it? Um, uh, I'm not Jason we, Bourne. We, we are. We are already recording. Myself and Ricky Macindo both have slightly dodgy Wi-Fi, hence the reason you can't see us. So if you want to right. stop your video, um, you can stop your video and we'll do it old school. Um, this is what I look how does like, that make just so you know. Hi. Nice <laughs> to be here, Thanks for doing the podcast. I'm not just a random wine glass. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry I'm late. No, no, thanks for having me. Um... How are you, Birdie? Yeah, all right. You know, a bit bit stressed as well. Half term as well. I don't know why I, why I organised a podcast to record from home during half term with builders. Oh, yeah. Well, Everything Ricky, was against this. Um, Rick, well, uh, funny you should say that because we this might already be the podcast, by the way. We might have already started because we've yeah, done the preamble. Yeah, um, yeah. And we like to edit it as little as possible. Um, but just to let you know, Ricky is on his lunch break from the hospital because he is a medical student. Yeah. Hello. Um, and have a guess what I'm doing in about an hour's time. Um, charity work or warm up? One of them. Uh, warm up, mate. Oh, okay. Okay, I, th- um, I knew it'd be one of the two. <laughs> I'm already, <laughs> I'm already in my dressing room. Uh, so I've spoken to producers and all those people, um, and now I'm sat in Riverside Studios in my dressing room, um, hiding away, doing this. And then as soon as it finishes, I think the audience are literally coming in now. So wow. um, <laughs> what a what a what a pressure podcast this is. I'm in a hotel, dodgy Wi-Fi. You're in a dressing room about to do warm-up. And, Ricky, you're literally in the midst of open-heart surgery. And you've just stopped (laughs) 
for a quick. Well, well, can we just uh, some procedure? Just doing a podcast. If you could um, stem the blood flow, I'll be back pretty soon. Don't worry, I know it's over, but don't worry, he won't overrun. He's got a warm up. <laughs> what a podcast this is. Give that, give that bloke a little bit more anaesthetic just to get through the end of the podcast, could you? <laughs> oh, yeah, he might start feeling stuff towards the end of this operation now because of a podcast in the middle of it. Imagine that led to further medical complications and he found out the reason why he had an operation and the, the surgeon recorded a podcast in the middle of it. I really hope Ricky's not a surgeon. I've never dug deep into his medical studies, but no. he's 23 years old, so I really hope he isn't a surgeon. I don't know. Imagine. As a, as a medical student, they let you have a go, don't they? <laughs> have, you seen, <laughs> have you had a look at surgery, Ricky? Oh, mate, I have seen horrendous things in the last six Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah, I was just on my obs and gynae block, so, you know, babies and vaginas, and, um, like, I helped... <laughs> Is that the C-section. name of the chapter in the book? <laughs> yeah, babies and vaginas, babies and vaginas, and everything in between. And yeah. I helped, I helped in the C-section, and I brought a baby into the world. It was fucking, wow. nuts. fucking nuts. Like I was like, who the fuck am I to bring this baby onto Earth? Yeah, yeah. That oh, must that feel is... like, I bet doctors feel like that all through their career. Surely that never goes away. Oh, uh, you'd be surprised. Like I, I helped in the second one, and now I'm just like, yeah, that's normal. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Just... Yeah. No, I'm not, no I think no, I'm not having this actually because I think comparing a tough gig is just <laughs> like that. I'm bringing a I'm bringing a baby into the world. Often against the odds. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andrew Bird, I yeah. have asked you to be our guest on this episode for a very specific reason. Yeah. Um, were you uh, flattered or were you insulted when I asked you to come on and talk about uh, money and saving money in comedy because you are the tightest person I know? I, uh, I saw it as a massive mark of respect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, get you- I don't get it when people are offended by being stingy. I don't get it. <laughs> It's a fi- it's financial intelligence, is what it is. The, Scot- we, the Scottish brag about being stingy, or they get upset when they're caught. They're not that stingy, you know. I'll I'll take any of them on. <laughs> we were talking before you came in um, about whether it's a really basically if comedy is a middle class thing. If comedy, if you can only do comedy if you've got a bit of money behind you. And I started, and I didn't have money behind me. I don't think you had money behind you when you started, but do you think it's got more difficult nowadays because everything is more expensive for someone to get into comedy if they don't have much money? I haven't got money behind me now um, after 20 (laughs) years in the game. I've got got my uh, dad's pension money behind me. (laughs) That is nicely put into our house deposit. But... um, no, I think I think it's got surely it's got to be harder now because you you felt it shrink. You can feel it shrinking. Gigs that we know, gigs that we've known since we um since we started in twenty years, established biggest gigs in London. Some of them pay less than they did twenty years ago. Whoa. So that that's clearly it's uh it's harder. Everything's more expensive and gigs pay less. What other jobs are there where people are getting paid less than they did twenty years ago? There's not a lot of them. No, um, no, absolutely. So everything's more expensive. Diesel, everything is more expensive. So yes, yeah, definitely got hard. When I started, I was lucky that I started. Uh, I don't know if I'd have been able to do it otherwise. I started because I worked in the Bedford, a pub in South London, as you know, the Banana Cabaret. So here's yeah. the thing: um, I got quite good. Uh, I don't want to call it stealing because um, <laughs> that sounds bad, but. Um, um, engineering free stuff from the pub. Um, so basically, you got staff meals if you were working. So, but I, I see staff meals as quite open ended. I still work there, don't I? So you can go in when you're not <laughs> on shift. Um, and uh, also, a good little trick if you work in a pub, people, is uh, if you order, I don't know how your till system works, but if you order a meal, go through the till, you put the ticket on for the chef. If you go back to the till, then delete that, 
and then throw away the deleted ticket, the meal, they make it, but it's not gone through the till. So it's not financially accounted for. So you can order yourself a meal and then hide somewhere and eat it. That's what I used to do quite a lot. Um, you know this is a podcast, right? You know this isn't just a chat. A lot of the people that worked or owned that pub are now dead or have serious coke habits, so they're not coming after me. Um, uh, so I used to, I, I, I only ate in, in the pub and in uh, gigs. So I didn't pay for food for about four years. So that helped. Um, you know what? The, sorry, I, I've just reminded myself, because when you just said I only ate in uh, the pub, I'm exactly the same. So for a long time, doing TV warm-up and doing gigs, I would be having like my lunch at Deal or No Deal, and then I would yeah. go to a gig, and I would, and, you know, they say, oh, do you want any food? And I went, absolutely. Yes. So, yeah, I was having two meals a day. Oh, hang on, hang on. I know you, for a fact you did the same as me on Deal or No Deal. They told me you used to pop in for lunch when you weren't even doing the warm-up. <laughs> <laughs> so don't sit there all quiet like I'm the one with the problem. Nice. I know you did that for a fact. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. That is very, uh, good, very true. Good, you're not to deny it. I uh, so, so I and here's the other thing. Well, I was lucky for about a year. Uh, so under 25 as well, you got young person's rail card for the train, and the other thing that paid off paid off big in that pub lost property box. There was a lost <laughs> property box, and if some people had left something for you, give it you know politely an hour. Um, no, you give it. <laughs> You give it two weeks. If people haven't come back for something, then, well, they're not coming back. They were that drunk. They can't remember where they lost it. So what are you going to do with it? Someone, this is old school now. This is pre-Oyster card. This was when you'd get a year's travel card, which was <gasps> worth about like three, four hundred quid. More than that. What am I on about? Someone left a year travel card. I felt really bad about it. Not bad enough to not use it, but um, we left it there for a while. No one used it. So I, I had that. So I um I had free travel in London for about a year. Oh wow, wow! So between wow. between free food and free travel in London while doing open spots and working in a pub, that's that's how I scraped by the first couple of years. I kicked off once in the Picturedrome in Northampton because oh. um, so you do this gig, Ricky, and it was it was yeah. it wasn't the nicest gig. It was fine. Big high ceiling, big high ceiling. So Northampton have got, I'm from there, so I can say this, Northampton people have got an attitude of, I've never been anywhere, but I know everything. Yeah, spot on. That's the general (laughs) attitude. I don't care if they're offended by that. What are you going to do? Oh, of course. You don't leave. Because Ricky's Bedford, so that's not that far away, is it, from that sort of part of the world? Yes, that kind of, I've got opinion on everything, even though I've never left this town. Yeah, so exactly. I had a, they used to give us a platter of uh, sandwiches when we got to the gig. Yeah. Um, not loads, but they were fine. But also, used to be able to get um, lovely cheesy chips from the uh, from the restaurant. Yeah. Um, and one day I turned up and we got the platter. New manager said I couldn't have the cheesy chips. Oh, yeah. I was absolutely fuming. So I did kick off a little bit um, and I did manage to get me cheesy chips. Admittedly, I've never been booked for a gig again, but mm. uh, it just means that you that you have your meal, right? So you're not paying the money to get there. The money, uh, you're paying the money to get there, but you're not having food on the way. You're having yeah. food at the gig. Yeah, it's quite it's quite funny that that when that thing happened with um, Jeremy Clarkson when he punched somebody over not getting a steak, <laughs> probably every comedian went, "Yeah, I'm sure he had his reasons." <laughs> <laughs> sure, something happened there. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be on his side, but I'm sure there was something went down. He was promised it. Um, I remember that story, a warm up story as well. Ross Noble told me this story about nicking food as well when he was a skin open spot. He told me he was doing warm up. And what he would do just before the TV program finished recording, he would run upstairs to where there'd be like a green room with all food laid out and he'd sort of fill a load of sandwiches in a serviette and put them in his bag. And so that'd be his lunch tomorrow. He was that skin. So he's filling up his serviette with sandwiches and like a producer walked behind him, tapped him on the shoulder, took the sandwiches off the serviette, put them back 
where he got them and said, you're only the warm-up. Don't take the prawns. (laughs) (laughs) I have... I have stolen so many things from buffets in TV studios. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And also empty in your fridge. If you go into a dressing room and you've got a fridge of uh, waters and drinks and all that sort of stuff, just yeah. bomb straight in your bag. First thing you do, check the fridge. What's funny is I... Um... <laughs> one of my one of my um what my two tips for anyone starting stand up would be work your ass off write constantly and the other one always take a bag to a gig uh, that's a you play. never you'll never know when there's free shit take a bag my wife used to <laughs> when i used to drink uh, i don't drink anymore i still nick drink when i can for other people it's still satisfying even though i'm not drinking it but um I uh, I used to when you <laughs> when you used to do bonglers uh, or people knew it bonglers you get three drinks vouchers and you know the old classic thing of you would uh, people would trade in three drinks vouchers for a bottle of wine and take it mm-hmm. home with them and that was always controversial should you be allowed to do that or not so I used to trade in I used to ask for three bottles of lager and ask them to keep the lids on I was going to drink them in the interval or later on after I've been on I wasn't going to pop them in the bag and then this is why one of the reasons i gave up drinking i realized it was really taking over because i couldn't even concentrate on the gig i'd be watching i'd be watching the other acts who come in not not drink and then go again to another gig so i think right that's another three vouchers for me (laughs) i can i can pretend i'm christian riley right and then and then the middle act would come in and they'd go and then they'd leave their vouchers and the last act to be on, I'll be comparing or I'll be on last. And I'll be sort of thinking, I wonder if they're going to have theirs. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Should I leave them? And while some, I remember being, the compare was about to introduce me. I was on last at Reading Jonglers. And I was at the bar asking for three bottles of drink, but trying to avoid one of the bar staff that had already served me. So they didn't go, oh, you've already had your free uh, with just different vouchers. And, uh, and so I was more concerned about getting bottles of lager and the actual gig, he was like, right, you ready for your final act? I'm still at the bar getting free lager. And then I'd walk through my, I'd walk through my front door of my house at like, you know, half 12. My wife's in bed. And she said, you woke me up again last night. I could hear you clanking like a milkman as you come in. All the bottles. So that when I had a drink problem, sometimes I'd come home with 12 bottles of lager from a gig. Four threes. That's me Sunday sorted. Um... Ricky, when I told you that we were going to do this episode, I think you might have thought that we were just going to do some money-saving tips for comedians. Um, I don't think you were expecting it to be this level, were you? Oh, I respect it. I love how it's just... (laughs) You're going in deep. Theft. It's just theft. (laughs) I respect it. Because the student life, I can definitely identify with that. Like, in my second year... My house just did not buy toilet paper and we would just make planned trips to the gym because we found out you could steal the toilet roll in every cubicle, but oh, they realized who we were after a while. So we had to start asking other people to do it for us. <laughs> like in prison, you can't get someone to bring it in. I've, I've got, I'll admit that I've been in dressing rooms of gigs and there's sometimes like a store cupboard and I'll, and I'll look and weigh up what's there, and I'll have to stop myself stealing toilet roll as a grown man. I think, well, I can take a few. That's going to take a pound off the Audi shop, isn't it? Um, um, Birdie's in a hotel at the moment. Hotels are kind of where we spend a lot of time as comics. Maybe less so now, but definitely, because there's often free newspapers in hotels as well. So yeah, I'm a yeah. big fan of having a newspaper uh, from a hotel. Um, you can often you can get the Wi-Fi, so you can sort of sit in there for for ages and ages. Um, Ricky has only just got a car, um, yeah. so he started driving to gigs now. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever met anyone with a greater passion for finding free parking than you. No, 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 no. I'm thinking of um, I did do a blog for a while of where to park at gigs. <laughs> I can't always remember the names of the roads, but I know where they are. Um, or I'll look them up again. I was thinking of logging them all, maybe try and do a map. But there are some places where there's holes in my knowledge because I never, I never stay there for very long. So the parking's easy, it's free, it's after 
after eight o'clock at night. I just I had that just the other day actually. I was in London. Where was I on the weekend? I was in London, Wimbledon, free to park after half six, single yellow, right of the gig. And I'm like, I don't want to slag off other towns around the country, but come on, Nottingham you can't park. You can't park after ten o'clock at night. It's not. It's Nottingham. It's not Monte Carlo. What's happening in Nottingham after ten that you can't? Central London, next to Trafalgar Square, you can park after half six. But Nottingham, you can't park until after 10 at night. So there's, um, there's a few I've had a battle with over the years. I've, uh, I've, um, I've defeated most of them. There's um, <laughs> Cardiff, when I do the weekend in Cardiff. Never pay to park in Cardiff. Do the whole really? weekend there. No, never. The... Um, the, where the hotel used to be for the Glee, the one that's... Atlantic Wharf, yes. Yeah, that used to be next to... Um, what was the... the That was an off the Kerbal Avalon gig for a while. And it was right up... Years ago, The Wharf. Yes. Yeah, the Wharf. Yes. Yeah, there's parking. There's, you got to pay to park at the hotel, but the other side of the barrier, there's residential parking right <laughs> there. Who's paying to park there? So I would leave the car there and walk to the gig. But since we started staying somewhere else... Central, uh, there's a road. Um, uh, what is it? What's the name of the road? Um, hang on, I think I wrote it down. Hang on, hang on, I'm just looking at my diary. I've got some written right here. It's got it, got it. Butte Street. If you walk directly out of the Glee and keep walking straight, it's about a 15 minute walk, I grant you, but it's straight up there. There's a long load of um, free parking up there, 10 15 minutes from the club, about 10 minutes from your hotel. So I've uh, Cardiff nailed that. I tell you that I tell you what the um, I'm even stingy on other people's behalf. When I don't want to have to drop this in so willy nilly, but when I supported Michael McIntyre, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, Oliver. Never, um, never mentioned that. When I supported the um, the biggest comedian in the country, when he chose me, um, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I was even stingy on his behalf. It, it freaked them out in the office where they'd email me. And they'd email me the parking for the hotel. And I said to them, well, take that off. Don't pay for parking at a hotel. There's an <laughs> arena. He's playing an arena. There's free parking under a, there's a whole thing under the arena of parking. So I'd park at the arena. Sometimes we were there for five days. And I would then, the hotel would be sometimes be a nice one if I was staying in the same one as McIntyre. It was like about a 25-minute walk. So I'd walk with five days' worth of stuff in bags for 25 minutes to the hotel and leave my stuff at the arena. Um, and you've got to bear in mind, as you know, Oliver, I've got a water filter built into the house. So I have 100% pure water. So when you're paying for 100% pure water in your house, you ain't buying bottled water, I tell you that much. So I'm taking five days' worth of metal bottled water. Probably costing me £20 in diesel. I'm <laughs> So I'm carrying that from the arena to the hotel, 25 minutes walk away. That's like a soldier carrying supplies, like a Gurkha or something. 25 minute walk when the, <laughs> the McIntyre, I don't know at the end of the tour if he saw a spike in profits from the uh, parking I saved him. But um, have you all, were you like this before getting into comedy? Were you kind of, as money or is money something that has always been important to you? Like stinginess. Yeah, I think I think what it is, um, my dad was a self-employed carpenter, so money was always quite tight because he'd like, I remember once he fell off the scaffolding and broke his wrist, dislocated his shoulder, so he's self-employed, so that's just him not working for like eight weeks. So we'd have eight weeks of uh, my dad not earning any money and my mum, I think at the time, I don't know if she might have worked part-time somewhere, might not have. So sometimes money was tight. So I just had my mum and dad just always had an eye on the money. So I just grew up thinking that was normal. Sometimes I'll admit I do things that they used to do. And I just think that's ridiculous. Um, I've got from them. And they still now, still now have this constant battle between them. Still, they're still the same. And I've got it deeply ingrained in me. And my wife who has no fucking concept of money whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> So it's that constant battle. Everything we get in the house, I have her going, yeah, but this is better. It's better quality. It will last longer. And my mum going, well, why did you need that? Why did you have to get that? Why did you have to spend all that? So I have this, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle. 
constantly. Yeah. So I don't, I, money's not important to me. I don't get, I don't really care about money. I care about not spending it. There's a difference. <laughs> I don't know what that difference is. I'm not flashy and bling. I, um, I, I tell you, whenever I watch those programs of like rock stars or you hear about boxers like Mike Tyson, who is a multimillionaire and lost all his money. I can absolutely guarantee if I ever became a millionaire, there'd be no story of me blowing my money. No way. He became a millionaire and carefully put it into ices. <laughs> <laughs> Lived in the same house, kept the Skoda Fabia Monte Carlo. It was economical. Did you, when you were doing open spots at the beginning, because I, I would do this where I would kind of, you know, you'd do a gig you couldn't get the train back because the gig finished oh, um, after the last train. And so I would uh, often, not often, a fair bit, would just stay up and wait for the uh, yeah. wait for yeah. the first train home in the morning. And you do get very excited when the first sort of things you have when you're gigging away, when you get... It was, it was usually Jeff White in Plymouth gig yeah. where you would get a hotel in Plymouth. That was always an exciting oh, moment. I remember ringing my mum, telling her, I've got a hotel. <laughs> I remember that seems ridiculous now, but I do remember it. And it made me really nervous for the gig. I remember thinking, they've paid for me to stay in a hotel to talk about myself for 20 minutes. That's a big deal. Still, sometimes I think that. When you do like big gigs with bigger hotels and you think, well, better be good to justify this. Look at this. It's a walk-in shower. Look at it. You know. <laughs> um, but I know I definitely did that. I stayed at, uh, I stayed up all night at Manchester Airport. Uh, not Manchester Airport, Manchester train station, sorry. Stayed up all night there until the first train in the morning. But my train was booked like an advance. So it was about like eight or nine in the morning and there were some trains going at like half six, seven. And when you stayed up all night, an extra hour or so, he's like, "Yeah, this train will be empty. I could just get on this." So I got on a train, and I, what was it? When he asked for my ticket, I, I showed him my ticket for the other train, but pretended I'd been mugged, and I'd only, I only got a train. I've got my train ticket because it's in my pocket, but I've been mugged, and I just need to get back to cancel everything and stuff like that. It's on my phone as well, and gave him a sob story, and he let me get away with it. But I've definitely stayed in a few places. It's pretty grim. That's when you know if you want it, if you want to be a stand-up, when you're sat at a bus stop somewhere for four hours or something like that, or you're sat up all night. They don't tell you that. And all the comedians that are massive, that are millionaires, I don't really begrudge any of them, it, some of them. Um, but uh, you just think mo all of them have done that at some point. Most of them have done that. With a I remember getting in the car with McIntyre and his car wouldn't steer properly. And he couldn't afford to um, get it fixed. We're doing East Anglia Polytechnic, I think it was, summer ball. And he was going, Yeah, it doesn't, it's all right. It doesn't steer that well. I'm like, Fucking hell. Driving quite far, someone can't steer the car properly. So I had a car once. Uh, I had a car where um, the, the brake would work and the accelerator would work, but to stop the, to slow down, you had to put your foot underneath the accelerator as well. Yes. Ricky, does this, do these conversations make you go, you two are a bunch of weird old men? Or does it make <laughs> you go, or does it make you go, oh God, actually that's quite exciting. Like I, like I find the idea of trying to, you know, cut the corners and, you know, uh, find the shortcuts and all that, quite exciting. Or do you just think, what a bunch of losers? <laughs> well, I mean, it can, it can be both. But uh, <laughs> yeah, let's not mess around. Let's not mess around. <laughs> but uh, I, do like, I do like the idea of uh, cutting corners because I think there is something... There is something fulfilling about saving money, especially when it doesn't need to be spent. Like the amount of times I've just take like used cutlery from the hospital when I could, could didn't wasn't able to buy cutlery for home 
or when like I use like the cups of like coffee and like they give us free coffee in like the break rooms and stuff and I just use that for like a week it just does so many bits because in the hospital there's so many little free things that you can just take that no one really keeps a track of yeah well I was stealing from a pub you're stealing from the NHS <laughs> uh, don't get on your high horse. This, this is this is why this is why they're skin. <laughs> Students stealing. You had a year free travel. I <laughs> yeah. Coffee. Yeah, my tax I money. Do, I do think. <laughs> I do think that, like, because there is a serious point here that we do worry that kind of that comedy is a middle-class thing, that only middle-class people um, um, can do it. I, although it helps if you're middle-class, it helps if you've got money behind you, it always helps in whatever, whether it's comedy, whether it's sport, whether it's theatre, whether it's business, it helps to have, you know, a, a rich family behind you. I also think it helps to be a bit of a grifter. Like, it helps to, to know... And be prepared to hustle a bit. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the same. In um, well, that's why uh, boxing. There's no middle class people in boxing because it comes mm. from. There's no. You got to really want it. Stuff that you got to really want. Like no middle class rich kids going. Oh yeah, I'll give boxing a go. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. So, but then yeah. there's um thing they say that about music has become more middle class because now you can't make as much money in music so if you want to do it you've got to have a bit of money behind you because yeah. they can't make as much on record sales touring's not as much but with comedy I heard someone described it once you've got to be I don't think in comedy it helps to be middle class but it definitely helps if you're doing the Edinburgh Festival regular to have money behind you there's people I've heard this is a generalisation but I've heard um, someone saying to a comedian, how have you done like eight Edinburgh festivals in a row? And they just went, well, my dad paid for it. It's like, yeah, but that gives you an advantage because skint people can't afford to do Edinburgh. Now they can with the free fringe a bit more. But even still, like, it's funny when you tell people that, yeah, I did Edinburgh. What other job as well? Can you tell people one month of the year, you're going to lose seven to 12 grand? There's not many other jobs where that's part of it. That's written into it. So Jeez. a lot of people can't afford to do it. So you need no, to. That's true, money. and you do. But there are also ways of uh, of doing that slightly cheaper. So, for instance, Ricky, we've talked on this podcast about Edinburgh cost, and one of the big costs in Edinburgh is getting a flat in Edinburgh, and so all your friends are staying together and that's the thing you stay in the centre uh, Birdie uh, right. where do yeah. you stay in Edinburgh listen up listen up listen up here we go <laughs> here's my Edinburgh now Edinburgh 2011 uh, 10 years ago that one was one of my best Edinburgh's so I this is most Edinburgh's so firstly free printing I'm very very lucky my best mate's mate is a printer and he's not He's not even, I don't even know him and he still does my printing now and I still say to him for the love of God invoice me I want to pay him I'm offering to pay him but he won't have it he's such a good bloke so I've never paid for printing for Edinburgh and my tours that I do now he still does my printing uh, so that saved me no end of money so Edinburgh free printing also uh, stay at my auntie and uncle's house <laughs> so when everyone else is going, yeah, I'm out drinking and going back to the flat and I'm eating properly in four days, I'm like, well, I'm getting a bus, a number five bus to Mount Castle Drive North, and my auntie and uncle will still be up. As I sit down, they'll put a can of tenants in my hand and, uh, you know, come dine with me, I'll be on. And I'll sit there and then my auntie will make me a sandwich and my uncle will make me breakfast. So I didn't pay for a cooked meal in Edinburgh, three meals a day. Cans of tenants, uh, free printing. <laughs> I didn't have a one Edinburgh. Didn't have a PR. Uh, my old agent did my, the PR, like a like a the, the most basic PR you can do, just sending out emails, and that was it for like three hundred quid. No printing. Didn't pay for accommodation. Sold ninety seven percent of my tickets over the whole festival. Sixty seat a room. Let's let's uh, make that clear. Or seventy. Um, so 97%, I think it was, still lost three and a half grand 
Wow. wow. So that's Edinburgh. <clears throat> I, I couldn't have cut any more corners. Free accommodation, nearly pretty much free meals, no printing, cheapest PR you can get, sold 97% and still lost three grand. And, so but we talk about Edinburgh, that. Edinburgh can royally go fuck itself. <laughs> and I stand by that. It's the festival um, of exploiting performers, and that's all it is. Yeah, but the thing that's really interesting is when we talk about this, um, whenever this conversation comes up, and Ricky, this is remember when I said right at the beginning, just before Bernie came in, that I've got a controversial opinion. Yeah, let's drop that. Well, it's not really a controversial opinion, really. It's a thought, which is whenever people talk about um, how middle class is in comedy or how difficult it is to get into comedy. Like, I am aware that those things exist. I totally am. However, I also then want to give people, whenever someone says, look at all those middle class people, I want to play like a game of sort of not top trumps or maybe word association. So for every person who went to Cambridge and, and has a rich family or had a flat to stay in, I want to talk to them about Andrew Byrne. I want to talk to them about Ramesh or I want to talk to them about um, Rob Beckett or John Richardson. And I know so many people who made so many sacrifices but also come from single-parent families or families who... Um, didn't have much money, working class families, but also places that aren't in London. And I'm aware, I, I don't know, it makes me feel like I sound like a dick because so many people say, oh God, it's really difficult. Oh, it's really impossible for working class people. And I'm like, yeah, but hold on a second. What about all those people? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Can you can you argue against me or can can even? No, you no, no. I don't. Tell, I don't. Uh, no, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's. I never considered that um, being middle class uh, or working class doing stand up is harder. Edinburgh would be easier uh, years ago if you're if you got a bit of money behind you. Um, apart from that. Not really, because there's ways of getting to gigs, and 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 um, all of those people, everyone, you work, you have to work, you have to do a job while you start and stand up, and then that means that you value the gigs more, and you really try for them because you know you're you're working, and the gigs you can only do so many gigs a week, you can't just do them when you feel like, you have to get them around shifts. Ricky probably has to organise gigs around shifts and around study and stuff like that. So then you value the gigs and put more into them, I think. So in some ways it helps. But yeah, there's a lot. Uh, I mean, I always, that's why, as you may know, I love Oasis. And one of the things I love the most about Oasis, as they do hammer quite a lot, but it's true that they, they you whether you like their music or not, you've got to respect they came from a council estate with nothing and then had the balls to say we're the biggest band in the world. And you can all, everyone can do their own little tiny version of that in what they're doing. If you, you've cut, you've not got a lot behind you, you've not got a lot of money, you you know, you're a student or whatever, and you're just doing open spots and sharing lifts. And you can, if you keep hammering it and keep working hard, you can get there. So I don't mm. think I wouldn't, I wouldn't slag off middle class comedians because they, it can be hard for them in different ways. Not financially, but um, it could be harder for them in different ways. I had this argument once with Stu Goldsmith. It was quite a quite a good argument. He made good points, and I agree with him in some ways. That he, he started saying about um, oh, I forget his name. Really controversial Scottish comedian Phil Kay, and he told me he said, "Oh yeah, you know he's like quite wealthy," and I said, "Oh well, bollocks to him then." And he went, well, "What do you mean by that?" I said, "Well." Everyone talks about how many risks he takes and how he doesn't give a shit and all that. You can do that if you've got money to fall back on. He's not taking risks. And then he made the point, what, but then you're saying if you're middle class, then that means you're automatically excluded from being artistic. I was like, fair point, fair point. So there's those two arguments. Interesting. Yeah, I guess it'd be fair to say that it's probably, I mean easier to be middle class in comedy in some ways but it's not impossible if you're working class like i mean but it's just like everything i guess i mean 
it, it, it just takes away stress if you have to not having to think, oh, how am I going to pay the bills? Or, you know, this is a um, like, a, do I eat or not situation? But I, but I guess it's kind of retrospectively, like you were saying, Mark, about like John and Ramesh and Rob Beckett is like retrospectively, I guess that could be seen as a as something that contributed to your success. But during it, it'd be difficult to see it. Like me eating baked beans three days in a row is helping me to become a better comedian. It's not helping on car journeys, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, Rob Beckett's autobiography that he's got out now would not be such a good read if he was middle class, would it? Mm -hmm. um, and I... Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, I remember having that, I remember a conversation with Robesh about being, <laughs> this is grim, about being proper skint one year, going in, got my tax bill, having to go into the bank and take the money out of my children's bank accounts to afford to pay the tax bill. <laughs> and me and Robesh pissing ourselves laughing, as you say, into the person in the bank, you're saying your child's name and it's a child's bank account. And they're looking at you like, Okay, all of it? You're like, you know all of it. <laughs> it's the 30th of December. You know all of it. And the other child account? Yes, all of that too. <laughs> <laughs> they know what you're doing. It's grim. So, Robesh, he's had to, he had, you know, he had walked away from a safe job and did it. Um, yeah, I mean, but you look at, I mean, Ricky, I'm guessing for you, Ricky, Ramesh has been famous for probably most of your awareness of famous people. Would you say? Uh, yeah, like so, like in the mock the week days, I kind of started tuning in after Russell had left and Frankie uh, Boyle had left. So, like, yeah, he was kind of the next person. So, like, he yeah. was one of the first few people I was aware of as like a famous comedian. And obviously Ramesh is super famous now, but so this is 2021, 10 years ago, and I spoke to Ramesh about this a couple of weeks ago when I saw him on a show, 10 years ago, um, I, was, I did a show in Edinburgh and uh, I, I wanted to try and have big old tellies in it. And Ramesh was still working in his school. Ramesh was still working in the school 10 years ago um, because I went to his school and <laughs> stole a telly from his school. <laughs> like, they, <laughs> they, were giving, they were giving it away, admittedly. But I remember that. Like, that's only 10 years ago that Ramesh was still... Work you know, he's so famous. He's done so many things since then. But that was 2011 that he was still working in oh, a school yeah. and doing gigs. Here's, here's a point. For you though that because uh, I, I think I think generally stand up is one of the great equalizers where if you're funny you're funny um, mm. that you know could be argued but if you're funny you're funny so it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what race you are gay straight whatever funny's funny most comedians would say that sometimes in the audience you still get don't find women funny just having this conversation with someone the other day and you're like yeah well if you don't, then, you know, that might be you because look how many funny female comedians there are. So funny's funny. But those comedians that you mentioned, John Richardson, um, Romesh, some of them, uh, Rob Beckett, right? All of them that were working class or not middle class and had a load of money behind them, the other thing they had in their favour, that they all had a very, very distinct voice and a clear comic voice. Uh mm. Josh Whittaker, people like that. People slag off comedians sometimes or not slag them off or get a bit bitter. Like, How's he doing so well? It's like, because he's got a very clear comedic voice and you can describe him in a sentence. And that mm. is that helps any comedian, middle class, gay, straight, male, female. If you've got a clear, distinctive comic voice, you know what your voice is. You walk on, like Ramesh can walk on stage and literally say, hello, and get a laugh if he says it in that kind of arsy sort of um, mood, like he's already in a mood to be there. The audience, they know who he is. they like, we know your point of view. We know your attitude. You're probably a bit pissed off about something already. Jack D, walk on, hello, and get a laugh because people know him, and that helps. So those comedians who made it 
even though they're working class. They, all, they did have in their favour, not in their favour, they worked on it and had to find it, uh, a comedic voice. So that that would probably, that negates anything. Clear comedic voice, doesn't matter how much money you got, that is priceless. I think I've summed this podcast up. I think you have. I, I absolutely, I think you have. I think that's that's incredibly, uh, yeah, well done, Birdie. Haven't, haven't said that. Thank you. Bit, bit of money helps. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, um, uh, but they all did that. John Richardson, he he lived in a bedsit for a while, and then talk about sacrifices. He sacrificed um, a social life and his own mental health by living alone in Swindon. <laughs> yeah, he did. He deliberately he moved out of our flat because he wanted to not have any fun for you. He yeah, he wanted, to, he wanted to. And he did. He got up at seven every morning, whether he had a gig or anything in the day. Got up at seven and worked at it and wrote. So he had a clear comedic voice, but he worked his ass off at it. That, does, that doesn't just arrive. You can't have like a look or a, a, an accent and think, well, that'll do me. People know who I am from that. You can't just be, you know, like Mickey Flanagan. You can't just be a Cockney and think that'll do. He worked his ass off to be as good as he is. So, But again, he's very, very working class. It took him quite a while, but... He's probably doing all right now. Uh, <laughs> I think he's doing all right. I remember, I, mean, I remember once, talk about that. I remember one, two, I have quite a lot of Mickey quotes because I gigged with him a lot when I was new. Everyone's got someone when they were new, they gigged with a lot who was like the headliner and they make an impression on you. And for me, Mickey was one of them. I've got some words of his that I still live by. One of them is after at Covent Garden Comedy Club, there was this whole thing that they moved to a bigger venue and the money stayed the same. So people were moaning because they get to the gig. It's a Saturday night. There's 220 odd people, 15 quid each. And it was 150 quid. And there was someone, a comedian who shall remain nameless. Um, <laughs> uh, here, I did a reverse reverse on that. A comedian, <laughs> walk, comedian walked in, basically looked at the room and went, how much is this? I'm not doing this for this, which yeah, right, on some levels, fair enough. Um, and so we're talking about that and Mickey goes to me, brilliant words of advice for any new comedian. He goes, two things you never do in comedy, Andrew. He goes, never compare yourself to someone else and never do gig maths. And I thought, that's good. I still live by that. I bet he does gig maths now, though. Hope he does. Uh, but uh, the other one, I remember once trying to tell Mickey what buses he should get. <laughs> the look on his face. Someone who grew up in London. I said, oh, you got to get there. I'll tell you what bus to get. He just looked at me like, no, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking of work, I think we've all got things to go and do. I've got warm-up to do. Uh, Ricky's got medicine to do. Uh, Birdie, I'm guessing, you're, uh, genuinely, Birdie will probably be helping out the builders or doing something like that. Uh, that's usually what I would be doing. I'd start digging something. But today, big day, half term, first time going to the cinema. Oh. Since pre-pandem, taking the, going to see Boss Baby 2, taking the boys. So I'm uh, busy, busy, chaps. You get, you get back to it. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> vouchers? You doing vouchers? Uh, no, all well, daytime, innit? So cheap kids. <laughs> um. I uh, speaking of which, you'll be interested. Take your own here. snacks. Will you take your own snacks? <laughs> yeah, good, good question mark over. The Sainsbury's is absolutely opposite the cinema. They're asking for it. <laughs> I'm talking uh, big bags of chili Doritos, pound each. I'm only getting them if they're on offer. Um, and then the boys will get multi packs of chocolate. Um, they do not ever get single things of drink. So I've got to take a big bag. I'll do half a week shopping in there. <laughs> oh, Bernie, thank you. Ah, I love that. Oh, That's all right. I mean, I, I feel I've really just scratched the surface here. There's much more. To <laughs> Believe it or not, there's a lot more. We haven't even we haven't even discussed sleeping in your car. <laughs> um. Uh, thank you. We were. Go I wanted to talk to you about setting up gigs as well because that was uh, an that's another thing that you do. I'm going to try and do a whole episode of 
um, how people set up gigs and, and make gigs work because you've got some lovely gigs that you've set up um, that were basically put everyone near the stage facing in the right direction, decent sound and lights, right? Yeah, those are your biggies. Those are your biggies. That's well, the venue where our Bista gig is. That's where I am now. That's why I thought, where can I go? That's free with Wi-Fi. Uh, a hotel nice. where I run a gig. Perfect. Oh, wow. Absolutely perfect. So, yeah, I'd oh, um, love to come on another time then and talk about our running gigs. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Bernie, take care. My I will speak um, to you soon. Thanks for this. Thanks, Jack. Oh, captain, my captain. Take care, bud. Bye. Oh, captain, my captain.